Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. This is the Abby Normal Podcast, here to tell you that you're weird and that's normal. Do you have periods of time in your life where your memories are super vivid? I have this period after my husband left me when I was all alone in my cold house, being depressed, and my little friend Katie stayed with me briefly. We had a couple of fun adventures during that time, but mostly we sat directly next to my wall heater and read books. Her in front of that wall heater is burned into my mind. At barely 20, she was just dark hair hanging over her book and long legs tucked up trying to stay warm. And calm. She brought calm. Many years later, Katie is still part of the EWCCCV culture, my term for the evangelical, predominantly white church of California's Central Valley that we talked about in the Not the Same series. She is enthusiastically in it, working as the church secretary and serving in youth and worship ministry until COVID hit. She's actually attending the last evangelical church I participated in long ago. So we're going to explore some of the sticking points I have in the EWCCCV and how she chooses to navigate them. She's willing to talk about this because she thinks that hearing minority perspectives within a group is important, so other people know that they're normal. The belonging but not belonging but belonging kind of thing. I think it's a valuable conversation, so I want to make sure that we like play it out from this perspective because I know that I'm not the only one. I've never been the only one yeah. thinking about the things that I'm thinking about. So if anybody else is and, you know, wants to hear a voice that says, yeah, me too, then... Everything you say, somebody will say me too. That's just <laughs> For sure. fact of life. It's valuable to me when I hear somebody and I'm like, yeah, me too. Yeah. This time we're lounging in the bedroom. No books. But there's a palm tree outside which rustles loudly in the wind, contributing to the messiness of this topic and punctuating some difficult points. But before we jump into all that, I wanted you to get to know her a little better. Katie claims to be a raging introvert. She said she feels at home in the social awkwardness that has descended on all of us post-COVID lockdown. I feel like we're all so weird socially. It's like, what do we even have to talk about? But I feel like for the first time in my life, I kind of fit in in the world. Right. Because if everyone else is awkward, yeah. and I've always been a little awkward, yeah. then I don't have to try to hide my awkward. Oh my gosh, so true. It's the great equalizer. It is. Yeah. It is. The awkwardizer. <laughs> I don't think that one works. Katie and I worked together many years ago. Technically, I was her boss, though obviously we crossed over that line into friendship. She's nerdier than me, or maybe I just mean she's younger than me. I tried to tell her about a new thing I discovered called Twitter. <laughs> You still getting chain letters too? Yeah. <laughs> you need to stop. <laughs> I did just get on Twitter. I okay. feel like you would like it. Um, I was on Twitter before it was cool. Okay, come back to Twitter. For what? I did Twitter. I'm done with I'm done with fish. I was in Twitter a lot when I was supposed to be working. At University Courtyard. You were just composing all your tweets. No, I was Well, you yeah. did your tater tots and Diet Dr. Pepper, which I'm still addicted to, by the way. It's so good. 
Um, yeah, yeah, it was on Twitter when it was still just like programmers and like, because there was a bunch of climbers. Oh, right. And we all like connected. So we're like normal people and we would actually like meet up in like Yosemite and Joshua Tree. Some of the best memories of my mid-twenties, early mid-twenties, were climbing with these internet strangers. It was the most bizarre thing. The first night that we like all were at the campsite in Joshua Tree, this like first big tweet up. We call them tweet ups. Super cute, right? <laughs> um, and we were all like, you are exactly how I thought you would be. So weird. Because we'd been talking every day for a year. And like, no one's going to come on to a climbing conversation on Twitter and jack with people. No one has time for that. No. It's just not, no one has that much interest in doing that and faking it for that long. So everyone was like exactly how you thought they would be. And my mom thought I was going to get chopped up to a thousand pieces and nailed back to her. Turns out like I'm still friends with some of those people and it's been like 15 years. I love that story so much. <laughs> right? Yeah. So yes, I did Twitter. She has read it now. I guess that's where the cool millennials are. Anyway, as a kid, she wasn't afraid of being a little different. I love lizards. Yeah. I took lizards to sleepovers when I was a kid. It was super weird. <laughs> <laughs> And she was adventurous in her 20s, climbing, roller derby, and jumping out of planes. But now she's a mom, and adventure looks a bit different. I had a lot of adventures in my 20s that were really cool. And then I left, and I remember very fondly. And I just gave my parachute back. <gasps> you did? I did. It doesn't mean I'll be done, done, done forever, forever, but also, like... I have kids. That was a risk that I was much more willing to take before I had kids. Right. And I'm okay with that. I've made my peace with that and that's cool. And I'm so glad that I did that and have all those memories from all the people and like just being up in the sky. Like it was so cool. I don't, I, I had to wait till I could leave with that kind of like, yeah. yeah. For now I'm done with fish and I'm totally at peace with it. So no more skydiving for now but she doesn't feel like she's given up anything being a mom. It's weird. Like, I really like being a mom, but I feel like I've totally retained my identity. Even though my daily life looks a thousand percent different than it did before I had kids, like, mm -hmm. I'm still me. I just have little people now, and they're totally awesome. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I have a pretty healthy, again, could be a blind spot, but I feel like I have a really healthy relationship with motherhood mm -hmm. where I don't feel like my world is consumed by them mm -hmm. or, like... I've lost myself. It's like, I don't have time for as many things, but I'm fine with that. They're yeah. little kids. Mm -hmm. That's life with little kids. Mm -hmm. I adjust and it'll look different in a couple of years and I'll just take it as it comes. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my philosophy of motherhood. Yeah. I haven't patented it yet, but... <laughs> Write a book. <laughs> it'll be very short. Probably just be a pamphlet. During COVID, Katie had two babies. She has a two-year-old and a six-month-old. Having them during this time was actually a special, magical situation. She got to stay home with them and create a little safety pod. I feel like after the initial like lockdown, after those first few months, we've had periods of being closer locked down, but like we see our parents mm -hmm. and like our immediate families mm -hmm. during that time and like our neighbors. So we kind of had a pseudo pod where we weren't like ultra cautious, mm -hmm. but then there were times when we would really like lock it down or like we would ask people to test before mm -hmm. coming or gathering if things were particularly bad. Right, right. The rest of the time it was pretty sustainable. Yeah, so like good. We just kept a small world, mm -hmm. which apparently I'm 
raging introvert because I haven't minded. I'm like, this is a perfect size of a social circle for me. Right. And my husband is a raging extrovert and has struggled a little bit more. Yeah. Has that been weird on the marriage front, like being locked together? No, I think it would have been a lot harder like earlier in our marriage mm-hmm. before we kind of figured out how to talk to each other. Right, and right. be nice to each other. Yeah. Key skills. Yay. <laughs> But at this point, and part of it also, like, taking care of little people, you have to, like, be partners. Mm-hmm. Because they're all-consuming. And mm-hmm. you have to, like, trade off and, and tap in. And so I think having to do that in the midst of all this kind of unified us a little bit. So mm-hmm. we're just, all right, well, we have to do this. So mm-hmm. let's just roll up our sleeves and get it done. Yeah. So for the most part, we did pretty well. Yeah. Better than I thought that we would. Really? As I look back and I go, yeah, well... I like hanging out with him, I like hanging around. Mm-hmm. He does the same. It's good. I'm yeah. glad you don't hate each other. No. <laughs> it's not usual. Yeah. We were kind of talking about that the other night, that like in the really early days too, everyone was on lockdown and everyone was home and before everything just kind of fractured mm-hmm. in the world. Right. And we were all experiencing it together. There was this part of it that even though it was hard, like didn't suck in the same way. It was this like hard for everybody. Halfway and I'm with fun. my family. Right. And I don't get this time usually. And so Yeah. Like I don't want to look back and be like, oh, rose colored glasses. It was yeah. so sweet yeah. and cool. But there were parts of it that were really kind of cool. Like, we I mean had I, a baby. And we got to just be around for everything. I didn't miss any of my son's like anything. That's right? really cool. It is really cool. I mean, I I feel the same way a little bit. I mean, I told you that seventh grade was hard for the kid, but like mm-hmm. Also, I got to just be there with them every day. Mm-hmm. Like seventh, like you said, seventh grade is always going to be hard, whether you're at school or or not. So to be with them every day and be able to talk about those things, like and, feeling like you're not alone in it. Yes, so for you get to get for you to get to be there with them and kind of be alongside when they want or need that. Yeah, I think that's huge. Yeah, I mean, I guess we don't really talk about the good things that much because I know you know there's people that. Also, we're really struggling. Right. Who own businesses and bad stuff. Bad sometimes, like reflecting on the parts. Right. Because other good. people were suffering more than yeah. we were. Yeah. yeah. But mm-hmm. there were parts of it that were fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we held my son for every one of his naps until he was seven months old. Seven yeah. months. He did not take a nap by himself. We traded off because we're both home. Right. It was so great. Like, I still remember that, and I'm sad that. It's over because I loved it. Yeah. So I try to hold my daughter as often as I can. Right. It's not as much, but I loved that so much. and was sad when it was over. And so this time around, I'm like, I'm going to hold on to that mm-hmm. and make that part of my life, you know? Yeah. The fact that moms go back to work, like, within three months is... <laughs> bananas. Bananas. Yeah. I'm in a group on Reddit of women who all had their babies or were due with their babies in the same month, Right. It's kind of cool because there's like themes at each month. And that we were, we've been in this group since early pregnancy. So everyone either was like the birth stories for like six or eight weeks. And then it was like the feeding woes and then the sleep woes. And then this month it's been the going back to work woes. But you're doing this and other people are. And you're talking about it. And you just feel kind of like connected with this group of strangers, which I love about Reddit, by the way. Like you don't know anybody's real name. You don't share identifying information, but you, like, get each other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. Yes. So that's been the conversation lately. Back going back to work. Going back to work. It sucks for pretty much everyone. 
even people who like their jobs like I do. Oh, totally. Cherry situations. Yeah. Who still just like that transition and the being away from your kid and missing some of that stuff like that yeah. still sucks. Well, and they're so tiny. Mm-hmm. Like a three month old baby. It's very tiny. It's very tiny. It can't do anything by itself. And you leave them often with a stranger. Mm-hmm. And they were just feeding from your body, and now they can't anymore. Like, it's horrible. <laughs> and it feels, like, viscerally wrong. Yes, that's what it is. Thank you for the language. <laughs> it really does. It's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hate pumping with my whole being. Yeah. <laughs> I hate it so much. Yeah. That's not a thing that people should have to do. It's the worst. <sighs> so do you pump at work? Yeah. But only so that my milk supply stays the same. Because I really have to pump them one day. She's mm-hmm. with me the rest of the day. Right. If I did that every day, I would totally just, nope, we're not doing this. Right. I'm not going to do this thing that I hate. Yeah. I'm just going to make this easier for everybody. Yeah. But if it's just one day, mm-hmm. it's just a hassle. Mm-hmm. Inconvenience. Katie does all the baby duty at night, which she says she's happy with. Her husband does the big kid stuff, like bedtime and running errands, and he regularly tells Katie that she's doing a great job, which she obviously is. I asked her if they're considering adding a third kid, which apparently is kind of a complicated question since they conceived via IVF. So you're really thinking you might have a third? We have two more embryos on ice. So ethically, like it's important to us to give them a shot or to donate them, and so... Unless we can't, or like we really just—I don't know—we make decisions as they're needed, but we have two kids, and we have two kids on ice, and we actually had one area transfer in between the two of them that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's no guarantees we have any more kids, but we're gonna try. So you haven't decided? No, I'm okay with that. I'm kind of an open-ended gal. I think my husband would be totally good with two. Mm-hmm. He's like, two is a lot. Mm-hmm. He said, three's not really that much more than two. Yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> right? That's like the rumor. I think two is 1,000. <laughs> so three's not that much more, right? Yeah. Okay, you have a good understanding of Katie's stage of life. So it's time to talk about life in the EWCCCV and that gray area of belonging and not belonging in your faith community. I'm kicking off by giving her an abridged version of my own church journey and what I cannot abide by in a church. Because, you know, I was going to the well before we moved. Uh-huh. And then we just had a long time of, like, church shopping and mm-hmm. nothing. Felt That's such right. a weird term, but it's exactly what it is. That's what it is, Yeah. So we recently found somewhere that we're going now. So authenticity, which we already talked about, was like a big thing for me that I was looking for. And then I can't go somewhere that's not gay affirming. Sure. I can't do it. Then you shouldn't. Yeah, I'm not going to. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And makes that easy. Like women not being in leadership. Mm -hmm. Like I can't. I have to be somewhere where. But are you okay with other people for whom that is important? So for you, you're like, I want to be in a place where this is affirmed and 
where women can be in leadership? Is it okay for somebody else to want to be in a place where women are not allowed in leadership and is not gay affirming because of their, where they land personally with, with faith and belief? Um, I mean, used the term okay. Sure. It is okay in that I wouldn't tell that person that they're a terrible person. I would not picket their church. <laughs> to their face. I would not want to ban yeah. or set up a law that it's against a lot to have such a thing. Yeah. But I do think that it's harmful and not what God would want us to do. And so therefore I choose not to participate in that kind of community. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I think people who want to be in that community will probably feel the same in the other direction. And... And here we are. And here we are. <laughs> in this messy, like, complicated place. Did you see how she skillfully shifted that conversation? I was talking about not attending a church that doesn't allow women in leadership, and she quickly interjected a question. Is that okay? I'm the question asker here, y'all, but she put me on the hot spot, and I'm not sure I showed up fully authentically. I mean, I have a rage about this issue that I tamped down to continue having a conversation that was inviting and not divisive. But her move made a point. And it was about what it means to belong to a group. And I think that's kind of what the both the beauty and then the ugliness of like community is. Is like you want to be with people who are like-minded because mm-hmm. we want to belong and that matters. And I think mm-hmm. that I'm somebody who believes that faith matters. And so being in a faith community where that's true, like that matters and it should. And that means that there's always going to be a group who's in opposition to you who's a group because we want to be with people who align with us right because that matters and it's just messy and that's those are the things that i'm like all right all right god like do what you're gonna do like (laughs) this is i i can't fix this i don't know what to do here but i think that you're good and i think that you're real and I think you've got a bigger plan than all this mess. So just help me out. Like, yeah. help me get through this. She's purposefully disconnected from the contentious issues du jour. Some things she just has to suspend to remain in relationship. I mean, I guess that's, like, I guess where I was going with what would you want to know 100%. Like... Is there anything God could whisper in your no, ear? No, there's not any one issue that I'm like, okay, well, if he could clear that up, that would s- solve it. Yeah. Those issues have been since the beginning of time. It's the beginning of recorded history, at least. That's what we mostly have, right? So, no, because I think it'll be different in 50 years. I've had this conversation with um, old coworkers when I worked at the church. That, like, whatever the issue de jure is right now was not the issue de jure 25 years ago and won't be the issue in 50 years. And yeah. so, like, if we understand that some of it's just a cycle of, like... Yeah. Well, and that it's cultural. And that it's cultural. Yeah, that 
you can kind of separate from it a little bit in your daily life and actually like care about the things that matter in your real actual human daily life which is i think what matters about my faith mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i think the belonging matters yeah. i think that it's hard to figure it out i think it's it's hard to figure out where you fit when you don't fit anywhere um i think you have to suspend some stuff i know that my husband and i have had to suspend our how we felt about COVID and how the Christian community handled COVID, how the conservative community handled it. Even our friends, sometimes we had to suspend that in order to remain in relationship with those churches, those communities. And I was willing to do that because that matters to me. Both things matter to me, both the relationship with those people, as well as like the health of my community. And I was willing to indefinitely be kind of like, well, here we are Mm -hmm. and hope that someday it resolves, which I think for us, it mostly has. Um, But also as I would have those conversations with people about that issue, about COVID, about how the church was handling it and finding out I wasn't the only one and not feeling alone, that helped a lot. So I think when you're kind of in that middle place, knowing that you're not alone helps a lot. Mm -hmm. It does for me. That middle place is often where she chooses to be political party affiliation is one example. I hope that I'm not speaking out of turn and saying that neither my husband nor myself identify with any particular political party at this time in our lives. We feel kind of like orphans politically. Um, And so it's kind of cool to live with somebody who maybe we don't agree on every single thing or every single thing that we vote about or like political issue. But that also is kind of like, let's just take it one at a time. Um, And I don't have to align and being okay with that. That was a gradual thing. It was like, I woke up one day and I'm like, okay, I, this is my political party. This is not, it was just kind of like a gradual shedding of having to belong to a particular group. And then just deciding like, okay, at the time where I can make a decision that, or have a conversation about an issue related to that, um, to politics or a, a political situation, then that's when I will do that. Um, but Outside of that, I don't, I don't feel yeah, like I have to be. it feels like, because I've definitely, definitely shifted politically, and that definitely feels like a gradual mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. I mean, I think Trump's election, like, sent me over an edge. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it definitely gave me a giant shove in mm-hmm. one particular direction. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, yeah, gradual. Mm-hmm. That's one of those things, like, amuses me. Um, first of all, politics and religion are so like closely tied in our like current culture unfortunately that like breaking free of that is kind of like you have to work really hard to do it um but i just like i think you have to suspend some measure of reality if you're a conservative like if you're conservative politically and conservative religiously like i don't understand how you look at some of these things that have happened and like can can be okay like i don't get it no i don't understand like Like, did you just i don't understand (laughs) how did you do that because i want that skill sometimes and i don't have it (laughs) do not know i don't get it but then i'm like the other part of me is like okay did the wool just get pulled over my eyes so far that like i'm not getting something that they're getting like it just makes you start to question everything yeah like what happened to reality (laughs) right 
baffling. <laughs> Did you watch? Is it called social media? I watched like <laughs> I watched like two thirds of it. <laughs> yes. It's like Remember you asked me if I I've watched the, yes. or listened to the podcast. Yeah. I made a few part of it. Yeah. But I didn't finish it. Not because I didn't like it, just because something else happened. Yeah. Yeah, it was terrifying, but also, okay. But also, that made is me go like, okay, this is this is the component that yeah, we that it's fascinating we can't though. comprehend. He's really taking offense to that. Yeah. Um, no, but but it was yeah, it's super interesting. Mm-hmm. I I choose it. I can decide not to have a phone, or I can turn it off. Mm-hmm. And not have to deal with any of that. Like, you have to take the bad with the good. So, I thought it was kind of cool. She takes the bad with the good. After years working as the secretary, she and her husband decided to leave that church, mostly because they were both burnt out. It was nothing traumatic. I totally forgot you were doing the church secretary thing. Yeah, for like seven years. That long? Yeah. I'm Ooh. 35. I, I'm 60. <laughs> you are like 19 and a half, always and forever in my brain. I Sometimes I'm still 19 and a half in my brain, so. Yeah. <laughs> we what? left the church that he grew up in and that I had worked at. Not for any particular reason, other than that the juncture of the shutdowns kind of coincided with We've been talking casually about doing this for a couple of years. Now seems like a good time to do it. Mm-hmm. And kind of just ease our way out and not make any waves. Like neither of us is drama or wants to cause any or speculation or anything. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it seemed like the best time. Yeah. So were you guys really embedded in that as like a community? No, it work. Both. We're kind of. I don't know how I want to describe it. Like, for the most part, we take no issue with just living in the gray area of being involved in a church and the institution of the church, taking a lot from it that's valuable to us, but not necessarily having to, I can't think of the right word, but like buy in. That's not quite the word I'm looking for. Um, Not having to buy into everything Mm -hmm. or feel like we fit into everything in order to still feel like we're part of the community. So, yeah, like we both served in youth ministry and loved doing that. And that was like a huge part of why we were there as long as we were and what we really loved about it. Like youth kids are messy and complicated and it's just cool to walk alongside them during that season. Like that was really satisfying and infuriating and all the things for both of us. So we did that together for a long time. Um, and so we had like things about it that were really, really awesome for us. Um, working there was hard. Um, and not because it was like dark and twisty and there were like uncovered secrets or anything, but it's just, (laughs) it's hard. I, I, I don't have like trauma. People didn't like treat me poorly. I'm fine. I'm good. But also I'm really glad I don't work there anymore. And I look forward to seeing the people that I worked with. Whereas when I worked there, I was like, I'm exhausted of you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see you tomorrow. Right, right. And working with you is frustrating. Yeah. But just because you're a human, not necessarily because of anything like that they said or did that was bad. I just, it's a weird dynamic working in a church. Yeah. And it burned me out pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So COVID was a welcome respite for right. both of us. Right. We had stopped working in youth ministry when our son was born or a little bit before. Just because it, we knew that it would be too difficult to, like, figure out how to be new parents and also, like, deal with 16-year-olds. <laughs> so we right. stepped away from that. Um, and, you know, we always had friends that, like, we got. I'm really thankful for my husband as a partner because we land the same place on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And even just how we communicate, how we relate with others, how we relate with the church. Like, we're very different, but that is similar about us. Mm-hmm. So, um we have always maintained friendships that have been meaningful and those people we've hung on to even through like the shutdowns and like, they've been part of our community since then. So mm-hmm. I never felt like they were like centralized to the church. Mm-hmm. The people that matter, we stay in contact with and we stay in communication with and we spend time with. So yeah, I didn't feel like you're going to be like losing. No, something. no. Leaving wasn't dramatic. They kept friends. They'll go back and visit. So two years into this COVID situation, they were planning to attend their new church in person last Sunday, but it didn't work out. And then we had a big fight on Saturday night and decided that Mm -hmm. trying to get two kids out of the house while we were sleep deprived and probably still a little bit recovering from being frustrated with each other was not the best choice. (laughs) Not where we wanted to start our going to church in person as a family. No. So we'll try next week. Okay. And that's kind of our goal as like parents of super young kids is like, we're going to try to go, like, a couple times a month. Yeah. Not because we feel we have to, but because we're ready for that, given everything that's going on with COVID and where things are at, where we're at, our kids. Like, we have a, a baby, but she's healthy. We're going to do our best to protect them, but we want to re-engage there. So okay. the goal is a couple times a month, knowing that it may not happen for whatever reason. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so as of this interview, they hadn't attended anywhere in person, but they have been attending that church I mentioned earlier online. Here's how they selected it. I say, I tell people when we talk about it, like, you know, when it comes up, I'm not shy about it because I don't have any, like, anything to hide. Um, I hold to go anywhere that my husband wants to go and feels comfortable. Mm-hmm. He really wanted to go there. He really wanted to try things out and we don't carry any baggage going in there. So let's try it. He's been happy. So I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I think that my kids will do great there. I'm happy. We could go to most other, any other church in town and I'd probably feel the same. Unless there were like issues that came up, but I don't have any issues there. So So is it mostly just because, like you said, you don't really care and could probably go anywhere that you go where he wants to go? Like he's more picky than you? Like what? Um, What is it? Not necessarily. Like... I think that we would handle things as a partnership. And if there was something that bothered me about someplace, you know, we would make that decision together to either work through that or go somewhere else. Um, but I don't have anything in particular pulling me there mm-hmm. or anything that really like, oh, I really want to go there. He really enjoys the worship. We both have like led worship and participated in worship. And at our old church, that was an area where he got burnt. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. in serving in that ministry. So having a place where that part of it that he enjoys so much is something that he likes. Mm-hmm. Cool. It just makes the decision easy. I don't know that you always mm-hmm. have to have like big reasons for something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but for me, like I don't have a big reason to go there, but he has a reason he wants to go there. And we collectively have decided, yeah, that works. Here's what Katie wants out of church. I'm not sure. Or why, why yeah. go, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and I thought about that with the with the shutdowns with COVID because, I mean, we attend church in our pajamas half the time. Like, 
eating frozen waffles on the couch and someone's crying and usually not, not one of us, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the kids, but still, um, it's, it's not terrible. I think that there is value in community, at least for me, even when it is messy, like, Yes, it was complicated uh, working at the church that I worked at, but there's also a lot of value in, like, meeting people and, like, worshiping with people. The first service that we attended in person was Easter. I don't know if I count it, because it's Easter, like, everybody goes to church on Easter. It's the tradition. There wasn't any big reason why we we went, other than that it was outside, so we felt more comfortable with that. But it was really cool to, like, do worship in person with other people and... I like, I like the social connection, even if it's not, even if it's a little bit messy. Um, I like seeing people and talking to them and it doesn't have to be about spiritual things. Sometimes it's just like, how are you doing? Um, and I think that you have access to that when you see people in person. Um, I think that's hard when, when I think about it in the context of a church, like the well, that's so big, like there's how many hundreds of people in service. It's the service itself isn't really a community, but I'm somebody that like can make and find that in like little pockets. And I think that still matters. So here's what Katie wants her kids to get out of church. If nothing else, I just want them to have a reinforcement of what we are talking about and learning at home. I don't church is not my kids primary religious education or spiritual education, and it shouldn't be that's ours. That's our job. So like I pray with my kids and, um, I get my Bible out with my kids and I sometimes read it out loud to them. And it's just kind of like, I do it how I would do anyways. And don't make a thing of it because that's just how I do my life. I don't do it every day, but like this is my life and it's kind of messy and it's kind of erratic and kind of all over the place, but (laughs) I try to be authentic even with my kids. Um, and so I hope that they have friends that are, important to them and and some of those things are reinforced in that in that place I hope it becomes a place that they like and that they enjoy because church being that growing up for me was cool like I knew it was a safe place Mm -hmm. so like I grew up in a really safe home my parents were great but as a teenager you need a place to be sometimes that isn't home just while you're trying to figure out who you are and so the church groups and like the small groups that I was part of were very much that for me. So they don't have to be that for my kids, my kids, but I want them to have the opportunity to develop that if, mm-hmm. if they want it. Um, but I don't have like big expectations for it. Um, what do you want them to know about God? I want them to make their own decision about him. I really desperately hope because I believe that Jesus is like my savior and I that is like central to my faith I hope because I believe that and I believe that it's true I hope that someday they do too but I can't decide that for them so all I can do is like live out my life how I do and like pray with them and for them and just like I know this sounds weird, but they're not my kids. Like they're my kids and I'm raising them, but they're not mine. So if my faith is real and if my faith is, my faith is true, then they're more important to God than they are to me. And so I'm going to trust him with them more than I trust me. And I'm just going to try to be authentic with them. Mm -hmm. I desperately hope that they place their faith in Christ someday, but that's not my choice. That's more between him and them than it is between me and them. Mm 
if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Just, I want to be really, really authentic with my faith with my kids, mm -hmm. which kind of terrifies me sometimes <laughs> because faith is messy. Um, but I don't want them to fake it. I don't want, I don't want them to grow up feeling like they have to have things be or feel a certain way to be real. Like I want to have relationships with them that, um, that they can trust. And so I think that's part of it for me. So that's her vision for church participation. I made a bit of a shift and asked about the structure of her marital relationship. Is Josh the head of your family? Yeah, but we're pretty, like, we take a team approach to a lot. And my philosophy as a wife is, like, if there's something that I wish he did differently, as, like, the head of our family, with air quotes, um, that I either talk to him about it or pray about it and let God deal with it. Because if I don't do those things or if I don't do the first one well, it's messy and it doesn't result in anything important. So, so yes, theoretically, but also like we're a really good team and my husband does a really good job of like valuing me. So well, I don't what really, that, what does that term even mean to you? Um, it means that when I read my Bible, it talks about the husband being the head of the family and similar to how Christ is the head of the church and like seeing those relationships in that light. And so I don't know exactly other than that. I try to understand those things better and like in my head, maintain it that way. The day-to-day -day reality of that is we're a really good team. Um, I'm going to defer to him, but he also defers to me in things and it's not black and white. Like we talked about it. There's so much that's gray area. And I also, as a mom have come to see that like so much of the day to day, the planning and execution of our lives, the like emotional health of my family, all of that, like a lot of it just kind of falls to me, like the yeah. nature of the family relationship. And I know that it's not that way in every family, but it had, it, it looks like that in mine. And so I take really seriously, like, all right, cool. Then I'm not going to just like sit back and, okay, you tell us what to do and when. I'm going to take a really active role in my kids, like upbringing in their um, spiritual upbringing. And if there's something I feel he should do differently, I'm either going to talk about it, pray about it or both. And <laughs> we'll figure it out as we go. So I don't have like a strong definition of what that means. Other than that, I believe what the Bible says about it. That's important to me. I'm still figuring out what that means. And I expect to learn more as I go. So kind of holding the tension. It's probably a really good theme for my <laughs> religious experience. <laughs> Back to the tension. Living one way without maybe being clear on all the details. I looped back around to authenticity, which is very important to me. Within the church, it's less important to Katie. Here's her take. So you brought up the authenticity part uh -huh. in community. Yeah. I was going to say that's my number one issue, but maybe it's like my number third. But <laughs> They're pretty close in the scheme of lots of numbers. <laughs> one and three are very close. It's up there. Mm -hmm. um, of something that's really important to me, especially in like a spiritual context. Yeah. And that I did not feel like I had a whole lot of experience with, like, growing up. So I'm wondering, like, do you still have the those feelings of 
I need to appear perfect. My family needs to appear perfect. I go to the well. Interactions. I go to the well. So yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. It's like super trendy there. (laughs) I haven't been. It's been a long time for me. So, like the, yeah. But I don't care anymore. Yeah. And I don't know that I grew up in an environment that I felt like that really, really strongly. I went to a pretty small church and everyone was going to corgi, so it was fine. Mm -hmm. Um, My parents did a pretty good job of, like... My parents were really good. They still are with hospitality. And so there was always, like, messy people in our house. Mm -hmm. And so I saw that, like, authenticity in my own family. So I didn't rely on my church upbringing to to define that as much for me Mm because I had in my family and my church was kind of corgi, too. So, yes, I feel it and I see it. And I don't care. And I think it's valuable. And this is something that my husband does a really good job of reiterating with me when I feel like I don't fit because, you know, I see this in shades of gray and it seems like everyone else seems it black and sees it in black and white. And I can't tell countless times I've been like distressed over this. And he's been like, you're really good at loving people. That's your job. That's all you need to do. Like that is your role in this group or this context or this faith community or this thing that you're struggling with. Like mm-hmm. that's how God made you. That's all you need to do. Mm-hmm. That's the rest of that stuff is just noise. And so he does a really good job of kind of like bringing it back around to like the actual facts of the situation and not like what I'm perceiving about it. And mm-hmm. that has helped me to care less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also being in my thirties, right? <laughs> I just care less about most things. True. Like, yeah. I don't know what clothes to buy anymore. I just give me, I mean, leggings and like a maternity <laughs> shirt. I'm not even pregnant, so I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I know what you're talking about because yeah. I felt it too. So how do you find, or, or maybe you don't and you don't need it, but like, I want real relationships uh-huh. with real humans uh-huh. and all their messy and mistakes and different. Then I think you just be it. So how do you, like, find those You don't find it. You be it. Because there's... I mean, you know the facade. Like, it's a facade. It's not real. That perception, it's institutional. It's not real. But, like, there's so many people in every single church who are looking for the same exact thing, but they're not brave enough to be it. Mm -hmm. And if somebody will be it... I think that was the beauty of working with youth for so long, Mm -hmm. is they're not afraid yet. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And you can see them start to become afraid of it. Um, but they're not afraid yet. You can see the light like <laughs> drain from their eyes. <laughs> yeah, you can. And it breaks your heart. Yeah. Um, but I think that's where I've made my peace with it. With so much of my, my husband's input is like, well, it's not the church's job to do that. The church is an institution. The church has to like function how it functions. And I'm going to have to suspend some of my, you know, personal feelings about that in order to attend but I'm fine with that like that's a tension it's I'm okay with the tension I think Mm. and I find so much like satisfaction myself in building those relationships and maintaining those relationships that are authentic that I just don't really care about the noise that much most of the time Mm. it creeps in sometimes because I think that um I think I'm a human and not a robot um (laughs) But most of the time, it doesn't get to me too much. Mm-hmm. I think that's been the beauty of partnership and, like, a healthy partnership for me is somebody who, like, helps bring me back to that mm-hmm. when I start to spin out into, like, mm-hmm. why is the church so broken and why are people so judgmental? <laughs> well, yeah, but 
They're not all like that. And they need you. And you need them. I'm like, okay, you're right. So, as humans, you just want institutions to be defined a certain way, but you also want to like belong to something that aligns with who you are and what matters to you. And you can't have both of those things. Like institutions are messy. Governments are messy. I don't think a church is all that different, especially like the current church. I love little churches, even though they're a different kind of messy. I love little passionate home churches. I think there's something so sweet and genuine about that Mm -hmm. because of that reason. But I don't like fault the church as an institution because it is what it is. And I don't have time to care. <laughs> That's true. I don't. I have kids to raise. I have friends to love. It's not your job. No. No. Yeah. So coming to that place, um, I think helps a lot. Because I think that authenticity is so important. And I don't think it has to be important to everybody. I think the importance that I place on it, that doesn't need to be true of every single person. That's something that is true of me and something, a color that I bring to my community, to my people, to my life, the people that I love and vice versa, that I don't need everybody else to have. Um, And that's what makes it work. So, you know, even within my marriage, my, uh, my husband's more outgoing and he's more outspoken and... You know, I'm the one who's kind of like, hey, like maybe don't say that. Like that was kind of abrasive. You know, not necessarily <laughs> not about religious things, but he's yeah, just yeah. more outspoken. Yeah. He doesn't make a habit of, of saying abrasive things, but sometimes I'm the one who's like, mm, yeah, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we do that for each other. Um, and I think that's kind of a microcosm for, you know, healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, that mm-hmm. like, you need it all. I need people who are things that I'm not, but. I'm super valuable to that. So I don't want to like sever myself from this community because I don't agree with everything that they say because there's parts of it that are valuable even in the like greater ministry of the church, Pixie Church. It's been a while since Katie and I had this kind of conversation about faith. So I asked her to catch me up on what she struggled with over the past few years. How to hold tension with the church's relationship with LGBTQ plus, that that group within our community. I don't want to say that group because I hate things that make things feel like (laughs) other. It's not, but I just want to like define like that. Um, I think holding the tension there, having, you know, plenty of friends and family members who fall into various places on the spectrum of sexuality and um, having those conversations with them, having those conversations with members of our family who might land in a different place, finding, figuring out myself how to hold tension between like scriptural truth and actual relationship and what really matters and what's my business and what isn't. I don't always do it perfectly. Um, I've had some hard conversation. What do you mean? Well, you said like hold the tension. Sure. Between these two things or these two groups. Like what is the tension? I don't exactly know, which is is why I'm holding it. Um, People that I love very much land in places very differently than the church and many churches say is okay. And for me, I'm like, 
I don't care. Do you know Jesus? Do you believe he is who he says he is? Do you know Jesus? Do you believe he is who he says he is? That's about where I end as far as what someone's like sexuality and gender identity are. I, I, I don't care. Like, and I feel like I should because I'm part of this community over here where a lot of religious conservatives say like, no, you have to care. This has to be a big deal for you. And that's just not, that's not my business. I don't, I don't care. That's fine. But like, do you know Jesus? Because if that's something that he really thinks is important for you to deal with, with him, he's going to do that. If not, he's not going to. And so, but I feel like there's tension there. It's not a like, okay, I've come to this place of perfect understanding. And now like, if you'll just listen to me, if you'll just listen to me, like we can all get, I don't think that's true, but like, I don't know. So the only thing I know for sure is Jesus is real. (laughs) And like, he, he makes sense. So do you know him? Do you believe him? All right, let's start there. Um, and I, I don't, that, that's the place that I can like peaceably live my life between these different communities that I'm, that my life touches, if that makes sense. a bit of what Katie said so that non-EWCCCV folks might understand a little better. First of all, when Katie says, I don't care, this is not directed towards the LGBTQ community. It is more so directed at her group, the evangelical community, many of whom want her to care or rather to judge. What she wants to communicate is that she cares more about individual people than she does about how others might perceive her. She cares about who people are and what matters to them. She cares about their sexuality and their gender identity if that is important to them. And she understands that for many, it is. It may feel counterintuitive, but this I don't care has power because it is counter the predominant ideology. Here's some clarification. I think the hardest part was just learning to not care about the pressure. I think I, t- I told my parents once, I mean, you know, we have a, a couple of um, family members who have defined themselves as, as non-binary. Mm-hmm. And so I've said, like, I, I hope that people within the religious community look at me and aren't really sure where I land um, with you know, my, my air quotes because I don't care and I want people to feel valued and loved. And I think that it gives people who are looking on thinking that they're supposed to be judgmental. I think it gives them freedom to see somebody who doesn't care. I don't care. Um, I can love anybody wherever they're at. Unless they're mean to my kids. Then I'm forever. <laughs> like dead to me. Dead to me. <laughs> but otherwise, I can do that. Um, and so, I think when I was younger, I would have probably taken pride in being like, see, I'm more enlightened than you because I can love better than you. And now I'm like, <laughs> I don't care, but I think that it's freeing for other people to see what it looks like to just love people where they're at and not because you need them to be different, but sometimes to love people who are different than you, but they're not really that different. (laughs) 
I just feel like it's been kind of this like longstanding thing for the last several years between like the conservative faith community and anybody who's not in that community that like, it's hard for me sometimes to associate myself with that community because of that perception. Right. Um, because I don't think that it is true of me. I would say true of me. I don't really know what I mean by that, but like, I don't want to be associated with that because I think then I lose opportunities for my friends who believe differently for me to really connect with them and to like love them well, which is something that is really important to me. And I don't want to lose those opportunities because those are what matter to me about my faith, not convincing them, but just loving them because that's what Jesus does. And that's what Jesus does to me and for me. So that's what I want to do. I wanted to push out a little more from her individual approach to how what the church believes and does impacts the macro level. She can go there conceptually, but believes most of her power is at the micro level. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like when you were talking earlier about like that the church is an institution, mm -hmm. which means a lot of things, like same as government, same as anything. Like it's yeah. not necessarily going to be authentic and perfect and all that. Yeah. But it also means that it has power, yeah. right? So when you're talking about like, oh, I'm not, you know, being called a conservative Christian maybe feels a little weird because it might, there might be a barrier, you know, between you and other people. That's a very real thing, right? Because we've got all these bills now, like the don't say gay bill and like the trans kid parent thing in Texas, like those kind of things have big repercussions for mm -hmm. the families of LGBTQ individuals, Absolutely. right? In like a very real lived way that is, from my point of view, harmful. Yeah. And that's backed by, quote, conservative Christian mm -hmm. people and or institutions and or organizations, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's the hard part because you can say as much as you want. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I don't care about your sexuality or your gender. Like, I just want to love you, share myself with you, like, whatever. Yeah. But, if but it's, it's not that simple. But yeah. it's not that simple. That's yep. exactly it. Yeah. It's not that simple. Like, I, yeah, totally agree. It's not that simple. So. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes it makes me really sad. Sometimes it makes me really frustrated that I don't know. Because I like so many things about that institution. And I like so many of the people that have been part of my life, through my life, because of that institution. Even people that I may disagree with about certain things. I, like, my relationship with that isn't severed. But also, people are hurting because of the things that institution says is right. I don't know how to reconcile that. Mm -hmm. I think the only way that I can practically reconcile it is to when things like these different laws and legislations when, when they are put forth, like learn what I can so that I can do what I can of what I think is, is not harmful, you know, um, if it's a matter of like voting a certain way to protect a group of people from that pain, 
um, then I would take no hesitation in doing that. And then like my day-to-day -day life needs to look like continuing to do what I've always done and like acknowledge like the real people around me. I can't fix everything for the families in Texas who are affected by that. But I can care about the people that I have in my real life who are affected by how that makes them feel or the people that they care about feel because that's like tangible to me. Um, and when I remember that, that helps me a little bit to reconcile it because at a more macro level, I can't. So the only thing I can do is reconcile it at this micro level of like person to person. And kind of what we were talking about earlier with the institution, like I don't want to be sometimes associated with this institution, but sometimes I am and it is what it is. But sometimes I've had friends say, you know, disparaging things about the church in a way that like affected me where I was like, hey, you know that I'm part of that group and you know that that's not true of me in the same way that it would go the opposite direction. And I try to be really respectful when I say that. Um, and they go, oh yeah, I wasn't talking about you. I'm like, but you did talk about me because you know that I identify with that group on some level. I mean, that hasn't happened to me in a long time, but it's been having, happening to me for all of my adult life. And so it does go both ways that I think if you align yourself with the institution of the church, you're going to take some crap too. And that's hard, especially if you're like, that's not, true of me so then like just like anything else it's not a binary of well I'm aligning myself with everything that this institution says there are things related to my faith in Christ that I'm going to align myself to no matter what but I don't have to align myself with every bullet point on the list of this this larger group institution more gray area it's like the theme of my life it's the only way I know how to do it. If that was what she's struggled with, here's what she's discovered and enjoyed, spiritually speaking. I feel like I've covered a lot of that just in, like, the talking in general. Youth ministry was one of the things that I really right, enjoyed. right, right the friendships that I've carried forth that like really solidified with me and like we're tight, but then we also share that like core of our faith. Cause I do think that that's an added layer of connection that you can have with someone when you share that, like when you share a similar faith, um, that isn't necessarily a bad thing to not have with somebody else, but it is, it's an addition to the relationship when you do have it. So the friendships that I've taken, um, from those places, those, those churches and, groups and things like that. Um, another thing that I have learned in stepping away from like formal ministry is that formal ministry doesn't need to be like, you don't have to. Yes. A church needs people to volunteer, to be part of these things and they matter and they're important. But like also as an individual believer, if I can use that term, um, so much of my like day to day ministry and like living out the truth of the gospel and living out my relationship with Jesus is just like in picking up some soup for my neighbor who has the flu while I'm like out picking up groceries and just 
getting to know the other mom down the street who has a little kid around my kid's age and it doesn't have to be fancy or it doesn't have an agenda and it's just kind of like life. But I feel like that's what Jesus did when I read about him, when I talk about him, when I learn about him. So that's what it looks like to be like him, which is important to me. And so ministry doesn't always look like, okay, we're going to have small groups at this time. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I think those have their place. They can be valuable, but they're also seasons. And um, I really enjoy being open to whatever, mm-hmm. whatever ministry. So if it works out that at some point in my life in the future, I'm involved in a specific ministry group again or leading worship again that's great that's cool but i'm not holding my breath for it and i don't think that not participating in those things makes me any less of a part in the church i don't think it makes me not as good of a church goer i doesn't i don't care like it's still important still valuable i I don't feel like any of my worth is tied to it i guess is the best way to say it katie is a free spirit who is not interested in making waves. She's fine living in the tension, suspending what she needs to to remain in relationship. And I appreciate this about her, how she loves and how she brings calm. Reading her social posts and knowing who her community is, I'm always impressed with how she presents an idea or an experience. Sometimes I see that she's poking at a conservative idea, But she's always so disarming, never poking so far that someone would get upset. It's beautiful. And also, part of me is bothered. I want her to stand for something or against the things that I believe are harmful. Loudly, boldly. Because she's still in it, so her voice matters. To them. Maybe. But Katie says she saves hard issues for individual communication in-person, text, DM, and that she will call out with grace and boldness things that need calling out. She's conscious of the fact that for these conversations to make a difference, she needs relational collateral. So she's not going to alienate people with loud social media posts. She cares in a way that is more personal. And she believes that it still matters, even if it is often unseen. As she said, we need all kinds in community. So she chooses the way that she contributes her own unique style, ideas, and talents. And speaking of talents, here's what her next adventure might be. You know what I really want to do? I want to keep painting. I really love painting. I really want to keep doing that and like doing it for people and like I don't want to like make it my job, but also like I want it to be a little bit of my job because I like doing it that much. Yeah. So maybe that's an adventure that I look forward to. But I know that it also requires a lot of work, which I don't always feel like doing. Like to do the painting, it's work? Yeah, sometimes. Not in a bad way, but like, it sounds all cliche. I'm kind of free-spirited. You work. So I just work. do things when I feel like doing them. And when someone is like paying you to paint a picture of their dog, which I love to do, I can't just do it when I feel like it. Right. I'm like, oh, I, I need to like paint that and get that to them. Yeah. Because they're giving right. money. Yeah. yeah which yeah. is bonkers. Like. Someone's giving me money to paint a picture of their dog, but like, I get to do this thing that's really fun for me. So that's my kind of, well, I think I would like to keep doing things like that. I think you're ADD. (laughs) (laughs) I've had times in my life where I'm pretty sure I am. (laughs) But I don't need labels on me. No, I'm sorry. I did not mean to put you into a box! (laughs) 